This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. Reframing from unwholesome action. Reframing uh, from evil. When I was a child in elementary school, uh, a perspective of this came up for me. Um, As I've said before, I was in those days called a juvenile delinquent. And um, I did a lot of unwholesome actions. And it made perfect sense to me because what I received in my mind, the mind of a young child, uh, maybe third, fourth, fifth grades, was unwholesome action. That was my life. That's what I was given. And so it just seemed reasonable and balanced that um, if someone's going to offer that to me, then um, my unthinking reaction was to offer it back to them in spades. And that was my protection. I had a sister who offered it back in retreat, and I had another sister, both older than me, who offered it back in fleeing the house. But someplace along the way, I realized I was doing very nasty things. Specifics of it don't matter so much, but they included a lot of lying, a lot of stealing, a lot of physical violence uh, directed towards people I could be physically violent towards, and sometimes towards adults that I knew there's not a thing I can, that they could do if I kicked the principal in the tostadas. It's just, there's nothing he can do. What's he going to do? And so on and so forth. And I was actually proud of those things because they established myself. They created an identity for me. But one of the things that occurred to me is that I'm doing bad things. I knew I was doing bad things. And I wondered, is there a consequence to this? And I, in my own immature way, studied that. And what I concluded is that mostly there was not consequences to it. And the consequences that I suffered from were when my parents found out. And mostly they didn't find out. Occasionally they did. And then those were interesting and sometimes severe consequences. Uh, Sometimes not, but on the balance. But they only knew a fraction of the things I did. And I said, well, that's how it is. And as I got older, um, when I went into seventh grade and eighth grade, and also was beginning to be exposed at a younger age than that to some religious perspectives, I I began to more overtly question the, the question of what I was doing. Was it evil? I'm hurting people. I was hurt. Is this okay? Is it not okay? 
I was pretty confident I knew what evil was. Hurting. Hurting people. And I could also see that what other people considered to be evil was not what I considered to be evil, but I didn't give a crap. All that mattered was what I considered to be evil, because that was my reference point. And then as I got older and through a lot of influences, I began to see that the whole world was not evil, that I began to encounter people who were not related to me and yet offered me generosity and love, which puzzled me, but boy, was I hungry for that. There weren't many, but there were a few. And those few made an enormous impact, allowing for possibilities of other than my reactive aggression and fear. And it began, things began to crack in me a bit. And that continued. But still, I was questioning that. And there were other variations of that theme. Long karmic story, but I ended up um, taking care of people medically, operating on them, and um, noting that sometimes when I seemingly did everything right, bad things happened to people. And so I looked at that seemingly and began to see there was some aspect of responsibility for me beyond the fact that things didn't turn out right. A case where I didn't pick up on a woman who was alcoholic and gave her a pain medication, justified pain medication for that surgery, but she overdosed and died. Good intentions, but I missed something. And other similar incidents. And even though I knew I was very good at what I did, with the best of intentions... I was creating harm sometimes. And that's just what I knew about. I think I've mentioned this once before. When I started to practice, I um, had a small office in a small suburb of Denver, and I operated on a, on a person. Um, one foot and the other foot needed it also, and they went off and I never saw them again. And Great. And then some years later, she came to my other office And uh, she said, I need my other foot done. And I had that foot done by a doctor over in so-and-so, Thornton. And it turned out terrible. And I knew there was only one doctor in Thornton. That was me. She didn't realize. So here I was seeing not just a dissatisfied patient, but a bad result, a painful result. I didn't tell her I was that doctor. (laughs) And so the question is, what's... You know, the traditional Buddhist way of looking at karma, which, of course, doesn't directly look at... And karma is just karma. It's not evil. It's not good. It's just we can look at it that way, but karma doesn't look at it that way. Um, But I began to ask myself, uh, what about ignorance? You know, if I'm ignorant and create harm out of that ignorance, is that evil? And, of course, that takes us to this ango, doesn't it? So I was very interested in this fascicle of um, not creating unwholesome action, pure precept, not creating evil. They're not exactly the same translation. I mean, unwholesome. Unwholesome is already pointing to something. 
Evil seems more declarative, more specific, if you will, at least to me. So I want to be careful here that in this talk, this is uh, an ongoing exploration for me. I'm not, I don't have conclusions, even if, in fact, in the course of this talk, as my responsibility as, quote, a teacher, I may frame it that way. But I don't see it that way in terms of my own practice. I see it literally as an ongoing investigation. So I want to start with the koan and then quickly work into the fascicle and then see where they meet. And hopefully that will help me, help you in investigating this question. And my interest eventually evolved not to what is evil or, you know, what is harm. My interest is what's underneath the creation of evil. Where does evil actually come from? Fundamentally, that I take as a personal question. That I take as directly related to me, my practice, what I do, what I don't do. So it's not for me a um, theoretical question. I want to know. I really want to know. So the case is, um, Chow Cho asked Tozi, how is it when a person who died the great death comes to life? And the great death is a profound awakening. So how is it? having had a profound awakening. How is it coming to life? And Tozi said they should not go by night, they must arrive in the daylight. So Chow Cho was, I don't know, at a guess in his 80s when he asked Tozi, who was according to what I've read, 40 years younger than him. And Chow Cho was already deeply realized and on an extended pilgrimage of decades, perhaps. Supposedly, he lived to 120. And he didn't begin teaching, I think, till he was 80. I don't, may not exactly have those numbers, right? But he went on this extended pilgrimage, testing himself, testing the masters he encountered. And Tose was considered a great master as well. There are many koans with him. So in a way, this is a, 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 both a challenge and an exploration between two great masters. Chow Cho is Joshu of Mu fame and many other perspectives within Zen. So Dogen in this fascicle asks us to directly take up as our own investigation how to reframe what is reframing from unwholesome action. At least I understand it that way. So I don't understand it as reading material or as this talk, but in the immediacy of our life, the immediacy of what it actually means in my actions and my thoughts and my words, uh, and by extension yours, and by extension in the surroundings of our lives, to refrain from unwholesome action. Dogen says it's not just unwholesome action does not exist. Clearly it does. 
but it is just an wholesome action. Now we know this is Dogen. And so we know the surface level. Uh, take care with that. It is just unwholesome level, uh, unwholesome action. The just unwholesome action, well, I'll leave it for that. He says, when you study in this way, you realize that unwholesome action is not, un- not other than reframing from. So in a way, that doesn't make sense, does it? Refrain from unwholesome action. And when you study in this way, you realize that unwholesome action is none other than reframing. So he's kind of flipping it. Refrain from unwholesome action. But what's the relationship between reframing and unwholesome action? They're co-arising. They're more than integrated. What's the space between them? Reframing from and unwholesome action. Now, it would make, in a, one way, a better sense if he said, when you realize that wholesome action is none other than reframing from. But he's pointing at something else here. So going back, it is not that unwholesome action does not exist, but it is just unwholesome action. And for me, what leaps out of that sentence is just. Just. What does it mean to be just? What does it mean to strip down to just? In fact, you could let go of the unwholesome action. It's just. He says, assisted by this realization, this just, you see through. And by seeing through, you cut through refraining refraining from unwholesome action. What do you see through? What are you seeing through in a wholesome action, in reframing from unwholesome action? What's the basis of unwholesome action? How does it arise? Where does it come from? I would say that Dogen is referring that when you commit to the investigation of reframing from unwholesome action, commit to that investigation, you are held enveloped by this refraining from. You're held by it when you commit to it. I think it's easy in the Zen training we do, we hear many talks, many koans. And in our practice, they can kind of bounce around in us and around us. We can kind of take in something and walk away and, okay, But that's not how I see this. And I give many talks. It's not how I see this. When you see through, and by sitting, you cut through, refraining from unwholesome action. Cutting through. Committing to the investigation of this. Committing to the investigation that you are held, enveloped by this refraining from. Held by it. It's not that you swallow it in your investigation, but in this commitment, it swallows you to look closely at unwholesome action and refraining refraining from that. Refraining from evil action can be looked at as refraining from creating 
After all, evil action does not inherently exist. It cannot inherently exist. The nature of reality is whole. Where would there be evil action separate from that? So evil does not exist until it's created. And that's, where, that's what I'm interested in, that creation. One way I would understand it is refraining from just that, is Zazen. It is just Zazen, holy Zazen. And we can step back from that and look at the practice of Zazen and say, well, clearly it is refraining from. We, in some way, are seeing a thought and not allowing it to take hold, not investing in it, letting it pass through us or letting it go. Refraining from investing in that. Refraining from investing in our sense of self. That being what thoughts are. But there's more there. Holy Zazen. W-H, holy. So this is not limited by any idea we have of Zazen. It's just Zazen. In the intimacy of just taking a breath, of just being present with what is. We run out. We run out of action. We run out of thoughts. We run out of ideas. We run out of expressible. And when we step back, perhaps we're bewildered or ask questions or try and place ourselves, replace, really replace ourselves. And after we do that a few million times, we get tired of that. Let that go. And then a door can open into just, just Sazen. Although I suspect even early in our practice, we're encountering that. Dogen says, at the beginning, middle, and end, as refraining from unwholesome action is actualized, then unwholesome action does not arise through causes and conditions. It is just refraining from. It's an ama- to me, that's an amazing statement. Because clearly everything is causes and conditions, right? Nothing can arise without causes and conditions. Nothing arises out of nothing. But he says at the beginning, middle, and end, as refraining from unwholesome action is made alive, as our awareness of our own mind deepens and comes to be us, ourself, is actualized, he says. And then causes and conditions can't be there. There's no space for causes and conditions. Where would it be in the wholeness of that actualization, in the wholeness of that refraining from? It is just refrain from. And I keep saying reframe, but it's refrain, so forgive me for that. So I find that to be an amazing statement that invites us not to be trapped by our causes and conditions, our thoughts about our conditions, 
And our thoughts about our conditions are an important space occupier in our zazen, isn't it? <laughs> you, you know, at, at the bottom of my computer, sometimes the graph comes up of how much space my hard drive is taken up by music and photos and documents, you know. And um, then there's the blank space. Not much blank space. It's not blank, it's empty. Hmm. But there's a lot of shit there. So in, from that perspective, unwholesome actions does not cease through causes and conditions. It is just reframed from, refrained from. And then, interestingly enough, Dogen flips it. He says, as unwholesome action is all-inclusive, don't miss that, unwholesome action is all-inclusive, right? We'd think wholesome action is all-inclusive. That's not what he's saying. All dharmas are all-inclusive. Those who only know that unwholesome action arises through causes and conditions do not see that causes and conditions themselves are refrained from, and they should be pitied. They don't have to be pitied, they're suffering. So clearly, unwholesome actions arise from causes and conditions, right? My unwholesome actions as a child and as an adult arises from the previous conditions, complex though they may be, or complex to my little mind that they may be, and yet there they are. That's the karma. But if you only know that, and do not see that causes and conditions themselves are reframed from. And that's too bad. That will cause suffering. And this, in a way, is a very challenging way of expressing what Sayan said yesterday. That within this world of seemingly solidity and immense suffering, maybe those two statements are related, What does that world rest on, ultimately, in the deepest sense? She talked of things as illusionary. And that's an essential part of our practice, to see into that. It's the crucial part of our practice. Without that, the word for that is zazen. That's the seeing into it. Without that, then we're just creating more ideas, more suffering, more space that we fill with our thoughts. So what is exempt from refraining from? What is apart from it when understood in this way? When understood in the invitation to see how large refraining from is? You can't see it intellectually. He goes on, because Buddha seeds, and I'm skipping some, because Buddha seeds come forth through conditions, our actions, our karma, conditions come forth through Buddha seeds. So clearly in our life, we create seeds, we create karma by our actions. And those conditions come forth, they grow through the Buddha seeds that we've planted. Basic karma 101, cause and effect. They mutually arise. The seeds, the conditions, the results from those seeds, 
the results from those conditions? Can you separate them out? But what happens when you refrain from? Refrain from creating seeds. There's more to this picture. There are other pure precepts that I'm not talking about. But just from this perspective, I'm asking that question. So he says again, it's not that unwholesome action does not exist, but it is just refrain from. And then he really lets us have it. He says, unwholesome action is not emptiness. It's tempting to think, well, it's empty, right? But he says, it's not emptiness. But it is just refrain from. Unwholesome action is not form, but it is just refrain from. Unwholesome action is not refrain from. It is just refrain from. Now, what the hell is he talking about? And when Dogen does this, he's inviting us to see, when he says unwholesome action is not refrained from, we can grab that. We can analyze that. We can see that. We can understand that. It's none of those things. All of those things of grabbing, holding. I mean, there's an understanding there. There's an intellection there. There's a way of categorizing it there. But it's not that. It is just. It is just. It is just. How naked can you be as just? And then he takes this perspective of just, stripped down to anything, and he brings it to our life. He says, for example... And here's his example of it is just refrain from. A spring pine is neither existent nor non-existent. It is refrain from. Autumn chrysanthemums, the flowers that are starting, just starting to poke their heads up, is neither existent nor non-existent. It is refrain from. All Buddhas are neither existent nor non-existent. They are refrained from. Pillars, lanterns, whisks, staff, this floor, your mat, your nose, your body, your thoughts, your emotions are neither existent nor non-existent. They're just refrained from. Self is neither existent nor non-existent. It is just refrained from. Yesterday, Again, saying pointed clearly to the basis of this, which, to use misleading and difficult words, emptiness, no thingness, can't say anything about it. But Dogen goes further here. Self, the basic thing we're working with, in all of its manifestations of this universe, is neither existent nor non-existent. So we have to start with non-existent and see into the delusion, see into the suffering and the cause of the suffering. And what that basis is, and if we stop there, then that's the great death. 
dead. No life. Which is why Joshu Chaocho asked that question. What then? So Dogen says, studying in this way, neither existent nor non-existent, actualizes the fundamental point. It actualizes, it makes it real, functional, alive. In the daylight, the fundamental point, he says, is actualized. Okay, what's the fundamental point? We all want to know what the fundamental point is here. Can you feel your mind reaching for that fundamental point? Let me shape it. Let me know it. Let me grab it. Let me hold it. Let me... I, I really want to know the fundamental point. But throughout this whole fascicle, he's inviting us to study, refrain from. And the fundamental point in that study becomes alive as your life. It becomes the Genjo Koan, the way of your everyday life. That's the fundamental point. If that's not the fundamental point, what the fuck are we doing here? Pardon my French, but that's really how I feel. If it doesn't function here, if it doesn't function in me and you, if it's not doesn't have the energy of that life and that generosity and that compassion, then we're wasting our time. At least ultimately, because this is a journey. And we don't start from there. So studying in this way, he's telling you what the fundamental point is. Studying in this way actualizes the fundamental point. It brings it to life. The fundamental point, he says, is actualized by our study, by taking up this study. He didn't say, arriving at a conclusion... And the knowledge of this actualizes the fundamental point. Good luck with that. So what does that mean? Studying our own mind? Seeing as we do create? Seeing what arises from our creations? Seeing how our actions reflect desire, aversion, or just distance and separation? And how subtle that is, how profoundly subtle that is. And I think the only way you can realize the subtlety of that is when actually your mind stops. When actually your mind ceases from production. We have names for that. But the names all miss it within the technical aspect of Zen training. So we can call it samadhi. We could call it the falling away of body and mind. But the falling away of body and mind is not the falling away of body and mind, a la Dogen. And when our mind quiets down and we see a thought, we see that creation of a thought. And in that thought, and that thought will happen, no matter how quiet your mind will be, At some point it will happen, or you're dead, literally dead, physically dead. We get to see the creation. Now, is that inherently evil? Is it inherently good? 
where we live, right there. That's the test, right there, because we will create. Having seen through to the bottom, or another, perhaps, more realistic way of putting this, being in, in, enveloped in the process of seeing through to the bottom, because it's not a finite accomplishment. We then get a chance to see the creation, which is, after all, a separation. And yet, there are options. Don't create evil. Create good. Create good for others. And that makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. But it's subtle. Coming back to the idea of intent, I'll come back to that in a moment. Reframing from is our Buddha nature. Nothing is excluded. And yet, interestingly enough, nothing is included. There's no basis for inclusion or exclusion. It's just reframing from. Since this is so, regretting that you have created what you should not have created is also inevitably the practice of refraining from. It wasn't that interesting. Let me read it again. Since this is so, regretting that you have created what should not be created is also inevitably the practice of refraining from. And this is our practice. It's to take whatever we create and whatever we encounter and bring it into our practice. Give it life as our practice. So when we face the disappointments of what we've created, when we face the disappointments of what is before us that we don't want, that is incredibly painful, how do we turn that towards the Dharma? Well, within each of our bodies, unique bodies and minds, we have to work with that. We have to open to that. We have to allow for that. Notice I didn't say we have to judge that. We have to enter there. That's the point of entry. Not free. I mean, when you've created what should not be created, there's suffering. And yet, that too is inevitably the practice of refraining from. So Dogen says, the Buddha's true Dharma body is like the empty sky. It manifests in forms relating to conditions, just like the moon reflected in the water. Because it is refraining from that responds to things, it is refraining from that manifests forms. So we create forms coming from the great death or some aspect of our investigation of that, we create. And that's the practice, that what we create don't create evil. There's a depth in our zazen that is beyond our imagination, beyond anything we can know. 
beyond our assessment, beyond our thinking, beyond our talking and feeling. But that cannot reach refrain from. Practice realization is ongoing. It's a work not in progress, but of studying just refrain from. Refrain from evil. Just. In that just, there's no progress or lack of progress. It's just. So what does all this have to do with the death of 50 Muslims shot to death while at prayer? Or the many other mass murders and large and small violences perpetuated by beings who do not see and do not care or understand that the evil they're doing is grounded in the deepest delusions. What does it have to do with any of that? And as always, although we are probably not murdering or spewing hate, not so sure the second one sometimes. Still, where do we find ourselves? Where are we in this? What is our contribution to this evil? We, after all, live in this relative world. Good and bad are right before us, available at any time for our thoughts, for our actions, for our speech. This is a non-dualistic tradition, the cultivation of non-dualism. In the realm of the absolute, the realm of oneness, of self-nature, of true nature, of Buddha nature, Good and evil are aspects of this single reality. There is no fundamental difference between the two. To appreciate this, to deeply appreciate this through our zazen, through our practices, through what we're doing in this session, and come forth in the relative world of good and evil, is the wisdom of practice. And the practice uncovers this if we're patient and careful. At any moment, we may be deeply suffering. But if we persist, the practice uncovers this. In our zazen, we can hold on tightly to our thoughts, to our ideas, to our words about the things we're involved in. But sometimes in our zazen, we need to look at this carefully. It can be helpful to consider what we need to consider. It's important, there's an intelligence there, a care there, to consider what we personally need to consider. But to do that as a jumping off place, a way to acknowledge ourself, our complexity, our intelligence, our emotional intelligence, our neurosis. And then with care and appreciation, we can let it be and go forward into the depths of our being with some degree of freedom from our association. Now, this shouldn't be rushed, and it's not an all-or-nothing thing ever. But please consider that. There's a conundrum of the tension of working with our stuff of ourself and yet not being obsessed by preoccupation with ourself. 
sorry for this, but uh, part of my life, I raise cows. I am those I live with. And we have, I don't know, maybe 14 cows. And in the winter, they're in a paddock, maybe twice the size of this room. Gets pretty muddy. And um, someone very close to me takes those cows' relationships very personally. (laughs) We know each of these cows. Some of them have names. When the vet comes, she says, oh, you're not raising cows, you're raising people. (laughs) And that's not a compliment from a vet. (laughs) And so sometimes there's a lot of concern whether they're getting enough to eat, particularly in these winters. Of course, they have hay, and they can't be in the field because they'll wreck the fields in in the mud. So we give them grain. And when we feed them twice a day, I have to, I go into the paddock, and they're just like you. Some are wary of me, some are welcoming of me, some kiss me, and some wouldn't have anything to do with me if I was the last person on earth. (laughs) Cows. And the interesting thing is we want to take care of them, so we feed them more and more grain. And interestingly enough, the more grain we feed them, the more cow dung comes out the other side in this paddock. Now, you can draw your own analogy here between this and Zazen. So, Chow Chow, on his decades-long pilgrimage, Challenges, Master Tozu. How is it when a person who has died the great death comes to life? In practicing the realization of our true being, how do we come forth? Is this a question that's worthy of your consideration? I hope so. And it also takes us into the one of the areas of that we're investigating in this ango. When we look past our own suffering, past our own self-satisfactions and comfort, self-involvement, can we see all of the inherent blindnesses, injustices that are built into how we live and where we live? That's the ignorance I was speaking of before. Does our ignorance create karma? Our intent is good. I think we can say that generally. But are we ignorant? In our ignorance of our acceptance of delusion and protection, which has been created for us, can we see past our blinders? Past walls so well designed, we and others have designed them, that we do not see, cannot see. built into you and I all of the protective structures to those who have it or can purchase it or can make the rules to protect it and then within these rules not feel, see, or recognize the waters we're swimming in. Are we not immune to what seems so often in the name of righteousness, in the name of endless suffering, and denied a 
oppression safe from creating evil? Are we safe from creating evil with the best of our intentions? Could the answer be, we're not? We're not safe from creating evil? In the name of good, how easy is it to create evil? And when we ask these questions, inevitably we're going to create threat and feelings of being threatened. I feel that when I ask these questions. I'm protective to my castle. And I don't think any of us in appropriate circumstances are immune to this because we all have a self. So it's just a matter of where that injustice and blindness gets lifted and what direction we're looking. And it's also clear that anyone can object to this. But our work here is not to avoid creating what anyone can self-define as harmful to them. That's not our work. That's other people's definition of evil, which in a way is not my business. My business is my understanding of this. This is personal. That's where I started this talk from. We can't avoid those who might see as a threat the loss of power or a change in the circumstances which maintain their situation while ignoring how those same circumstances devalues others. We can't ignore those. And that avoidance is not our job. They're the other. And we too are that other. So this is where we are. Investigating. An ongoing investigation of our being, our body, our suffering, our karma. An ongoing practice. Sometimes weeping, sometimes joyful. Sometimes filling us up and sometimes feeling barren. This is fully here. All of it. Daito Roshi was fond of saying, there's no place to put your enormous body as an encouragement of realization. I know that rings for many of us. Fine. That's how is it when a person has died the great death? But do we also understand that there's no place to put our little limited karmic body? And those, that's the same thing. That's the body we live in. That's the body we suffer in, or have joy in, or struggle with what it means to create evil. They're not different bodies. 
And so Toze says they should not go by night. They must arrive in the daytime. This limited, karmic, small, seemingly insignificant body. Daytime. Here we are. All of us. It's light out. Dido's comment on this. Haven't you heard? Spring is always in the frozen branches, buried beneath six feet of snow. However, unless you first realize the truth, you cannot engage it. I've been talking about that. Realizing where evil comes from. How is it created? What is it? Unless you first realize the truth, you can't engage it. That's what we're doing here. We're realizing the truth. So cut off both light and darkness and say a word. This is to just refrain from. Haven't you heard? Spring is always in the frozen branches, buried beneath six feet of snow. Here's another verse. A frozen tree blossoms in the dead of winter. Don't you see, in the endless spring, alive in your own body and mind? Please take the next step. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.